Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Few people could stand behind the sacred desk and grab the attention of the hearer better than H.E. Shmuel. This sermon was preached at Seabreeze Camp Meeting in Hobe Sound, Florida back in 1987 and he titles this message, The Mistakes of the Prodigal. I know you'll enjoy this captivating sermon. service. I appreciate the message this morning and uh, God marvelously honored Brother Carroll's ministry this morning and again this afternoon. Last night's meeting was precious. I think that God is trying to get through to our hearts. We, uh, we have a lot of people here that have spiritual needs. Some of them are far, far away from the Lord. So let's remember them in prayer. I know it's a little on the hot side. Our BTUs have been filling the air for quite a while. But uh, let's read in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. I'll endeavor to keep it as brief as possible and still clear my soul. This is the uh, parable. Uh, there are three parables here. The uh, parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And this parable now is what is known as parable of the lost son. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto him his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he set him into his field to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. And I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose with that speech in his heart and in his mouth and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I'd like to speak tonight, as God may help me, from the topic, the mistakes of the prodigal. There are mistakes, and then there are mistakes. There are mistakes that are not fatal or final. There are mistakes that are miscellaneous. There are mistakes such as you and I make every day. For instance, the young people who are here tonight, some guy, it'd have to be rather a dumb guy, to mistake a Chevette for a Corvette. Now, an old grandfather might make that kind of a mistake, some uh, bifocal, bunion, ball-headed, beat-up curmudgeon. He might have difficulty knowing the difference, but no real bona fide speedster would make that kind of mistake. Or some might make the mistake of thinking a yogo was a thunderbird. And that could be easily taken care of, especially by uh, the older folks. Folks who don't live on the farm might mistake a hen for a rooster. Or they could mistake a rooster for a hen. Those are not fatal mistakes. They're errors in judgment. They're mistakes, all right. If you did mistake uh, a rooster for a hen, you'd never get an egg. But uh, it wouldn't be fatal. Maybe someone would give you one. But there are mistakes that are more serious, carry more serious consequences. For instance, a young lady came up to me a few days ago, and her family's falling apart. Her husband's left her and the children. She's brokenhearted and tearful. She said, when I married him X number of years ago, I thought I was getting a good boy. She really did get a good boy. His father and his mother were good people. But things changed. She made a mistake. He was good, but he wasn't holy. That's a much more serious mistake. The mistakes of the prodigal are mistakes that were almost fatal. But thank God, his mistakes were not fatal. But your mistake may be fatal. You may be caught up in the throes of decisions that could be fatal to your eternal welfare. The first mistake this young fellow made was that his father's lifestyle and value system was faulty. That, uh, well, dad's old. His eyes are no longer sharp. They're out of focus. They really don't see uh, this time of life. They don't see this world as it really is. He's from another day. And then, of course, his ears are impaired. He doesn't like the contemporary sounds. He's down on, on things I'm up on, like rock. His brain hasn't been developed. He needs to flop it over on the other side. He's a good old fellow. He means well. But he's just so far behind. Uh, this uh, stuffy old synagogue that we attend, it's a narrow, dull, scrubby, scroungy kind of place with a lot of funny and peculiar people hanging around with old fogey notions, and the rabbi isn't any help either. Oh, just everything is out of date. I, uh, I just wish my dad would have been, had, had a better education. I just wish he'd have been with it a little bit more. Been nice if he could have been more contemporary. If he'd been closer to the kind of things that I enjoy and the things that I like. And if he could have just developed in some other areas. He's so narrow-minded and single-minded. And he's sort of, well, I guess being as old as he is, he has a right to be a little stuffy and a little dull, but 
his values are not my values. If he could see things like I see them, if he would hear things like I hear them, if his brain would work like my brain works, he'd, well, he'd have a different set of values. He'd, uh, he'd appreciate the things I'm interested in. And so like many, many young people, some in the 20th century, the old man really isn't all that sharp. The old boy is a good old guy and he's made it. Sometimes I wonder how he has, but he's made it. He has a little money laid by. I don't know how he did all of that. After all, his methods are really not 20th century methods. They're not really up to date as they ought to be. If I had his wad, I could do something with it. If I had a pile like that, I don't know how much he has, but it has to be considerable. Look at the estate we're living on, and look at the cattle, and uh, then after all, look how we work. I, I'm tired of all this work. Work, 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 up in the morning, late at night, synagogue, synagogue, work, work, hardly any fun, hard to get a day off. Uh, just too bad uh, the old man didn't have a better set of values. Too bad he isn't educated. Maybe if he'd have gone away to college or maybe if he'd have taken a correspondence course. Uh, somewhere or other, I guess the college he did go to didn't wasn't really with it. I understand it was one of those Bible school things and they're rather buddy-duddy as I get it and quite a lot behind the times. And so... I, uh, well, I just wish my dad could really have the kind of values that really matter. And I wish he had a different kind of a lifestyle. The things around here would be di different and they'd be lively and up to date. And that was his first mistake. His second mistake was that if he had some money, he would really be happy. If he just had a wad. After all... If he would go to his father and ask for it, well, it really wouldn't be kosher because really he was supposed to wait till his dad was dead. But he couldn't wait. He just couldn't wait. Just like so many in this time. We can't wait. We have to have it now. And so instead of waiting, he went to his father and he said, Dad, he said, you know the old regulation that when you die, why this estate is to be divided between uh, my brother and I, and uh, but I can't wait. I'd like, I'd like to have mine now. He didn't say it, but in effect, he was saying, "Drop dead, Dad. Just sort of get out of the way and let me have what's mine. Let me have the things that belong to me." But his father said, "Son, uh, all right." So he gave him his wad, and he said, "Here's your, here's your part. Take it." And so he lit out down the road thinking that what he had in his pocket, what he had in his hand, would buy real happiness. There's a lot of people that think that way. If I just had a good wad, if I had a good job and made big money, I see these fellas peeling off the hundreds and the fifties and the twenties, I that would be a big thing to do. If I just had enough. Well... Uh, you know, happiness is not bought with contentment. Happiness is based on the things that are happening. He really needed real joy, but he was interested in just happiness and in the happenings that would take place. And his philosophy was, well, Dad, you have the money, give it to me. Now let me have it. Give me, give me, give me, give me. And this pretty much is the philosophy of many people today, young people as well as old. If it isn't money they want given to them, it's something else. But they want, they feel, if they had a little bit more, if they had a little bit more, if they had a little of this, and if they had a, another house, or they had another car, if they had a Thunderbird, or if they had a Corvette, or if they had a cottage on the lake, or if they had a, a, a chalet in the mountains, or if they had something overseas, if they could travel the world. If I had this kind of wad, I would really be a happy soul. And that was another mistake that he made, that money would do it. Secondly, or thirdly, he sort of felt that whatever was going to be good and whatever money could buy would be a long ways from where he was at. A long ways from this place, a fur piece from here. Let me out of here. I don't, get me on a bus, 
that's loaded with gas and won't run out and get me on a plane that'll only land after 15 hours in the air, get me uh, on, a, on something, get me out of this place, anywhere but here, get me out of here. And so he puts his dollars on the line and he travels to the far country. Surely somewhere in Arkansas or Texas or California or maybe even in Alaska, I'll find the thing that really will do for me what I think I ought to have. There are people here tonight that have that philosophy. If I could just get away from the old man, if I could get away from this fuddy-duddy sanctuary, and these dull, lackluster people, these this religious music. If I could just go where the rock bands are really rolling, where the punk heads are, are living it up and shooting it straight. If I could just get to a far country, they tell me California is the place to go. They say that things are really hot in Texas. And they say if you really want to go get lost, take it to Alaska. There's a lot of good-for-nothing rascals and bums up there, not including Harvey Fisco. Go take it to Alaska. Get it out of here. A lot of thugs and ne'er-do-wells, fellas, running from the law. Their idea is to go to Alaska, get to Texas, get lost in uh, San Francisco, get lost in the gay society, find your, find your way to wine and women and song. The good things are way off there somewhere else. And so he felt that if he could just get into a far country and get away from anybody that would ever know him or ever think about him, there he would find real satisfaction. So he travels to the far country. He gets to California. He strikes up an acquaintance with someone there at a bar or a honky-tonk or a dive or maybe a high-class restaurant or some kind of a, an upper-upper-level joint of one kind or another where uh, the lights are sparkling and where the glasses are tinkling and where the music is sophisticated and where the dancing and the entertainment is on, uh, on the highest level of, of sensual delight and satisfaction and and uh, that's, that's the real world. He goes home, wherever that may be, to an apartment or some kind of a plush, a sleep-in kind of thing, a hotel, a motel. And he dreams and fantasizes. He shacks up with some gal or several guys. They live it up. He pours out his money. His money runs out like water out of a broken water line. And he's having a time. He's having a ball. And yet when the days are over and he lies down exhausted at the end of the day, there's still somehow or other a deep ache on the inside. You see, uh, his next mistake was that if he really had carnal satisfaction or carnal pleasure would bring him contentment. So he wandered in a land of pimps, a land of prostitutes, a land of punkheads. He pandered to his lusts and he fed the perversions of his spirit. He kept feeding the twisted, uh, growing, dis distorted concepts in his own mind as to what real satisfaction might truly be. And there he squandered his resources. He squandered the creative mind. He squandered the well-framed body. He squandered the, the talents and the abilities. He poured them out to sensuality and to sin and to despicable experiments of one kind or another. He gave himself to whatever his mind would wander to. He gave himself to whatever his eyes of lust would, would perceive or could possibly conceive. No doubt he went into the most despicable kind of, of sensuality and lust and perversion. He snorkeled in the cesspools of iniquity with joy and with delight until he was burned out at the end of 24 or 36 or 72 hours. He would lie down 
down either on a plush carpet or somewhere else and there go into tormented slumber and sleep. A body that would twitch and can be convulsed by delirium tremens or by other aspects of his sensuality and his deviltry or the dope or the drugs or the fantasies or the horrible paintings that were on his mind. He would spend days or perhaps weeks on end struggling and fighting and yet plunging back into the same cesspool, back into the same degradation, back into the same murky, dirty, sensual, smelly waters of a life of pollution and sin. He wandered and wandered the hillsides of iniquity and hell and perverseness and wickedness and idolatry and sensuality and the depths of sinfulness. He climbed the heights of momentary delights in the arms of a prostitute only to fall in the great despair knowing that he was living far below those values that from time to time he would remember that he'd heard in the synagogue And he had been taught around his father's knee. There are many young people who are squandering their resources today. And some of them are here in the tabernacle tonight. The last half of our century is actually noted for its legalized lust and its promoted and advertised and fostered perversion by the media, whether it's the printed page or whether it's television or whether it's video, or whether it's pornographic magazines, or whatever it will may, may be, we are living in the most lustful and licentious day, probably since the first century when God rejected them, and God would spew them out and refuse them a place. This is a lustful, licentious, sensual Day. This last half of this century has seen the proliferation of the most despicable types of animalism and sensuality and physical and mental perversion. Perversion so abysmal, so deep, so defiled, so wicked, so sensual, that much of what my mind is covering at this moment, I cannot divulge to this mixed congregation because it is of such a despicable and vile and dirty content. I did not intend to say anything about it. This is the dirtiest book that you'll ever pick up. This book is the Attorney General's Commission on Pornography. This book is so vile and sensual and devilish and dirty and twisted and warped and perverted that I would not sell it to anyone who would let it lying around on a shelf somewhere. Yet the contents of this book that reveal what is happening in America today, that is happening on the media, that is happening in uh, happening to our students, it's happening on our campuses in this report that Dr. James Dobson has brought so forcibly to the mind of the American people is so detailed. It is so it, its contents are such that I would not dare read one solitary page of that report to this mixed congregation. Yet that kind of report covering some 12 to 1300 pages reveals in vivid detail the kind of sensuality and perversion and uh, uh, and, and deviltry that is being perpetrated in America on little boys and girls, on children, on men, on women, uh, make, uh, turning human beings virtually into animals to satisfy the sadistic and devilish propensities of their, of their warped and twisted sensual and sexual disposition. And what I'm saying, my friend, is this. People feel that's the world of delight and that's the world of satisfaction. And this world of sensuality, this world of sexuality, and I'm speaking rather plainly at this point, and I make no apologize for speaking plainly at this point. This is a wicked and a perverse generation, and things are truly, in this regard, getting worse and worse as far as the media and television are concerned. I have in my hand an ad, that's a picture of a gal there, a, a rather attractive woman and she is making a statement. This ad appeared in the prominent newspapers across America in the last few days. Uh, she is making a statement here 
And uh, this little item is talking about their plan to uh, be sure that nobody gets AIDS. It's that planned parenthood kind of thing. That uh, planned parenthood and, and some men in the United States government are pushing and pushing because since AIDS is such a devastating disease in the, in the society of our day, especially here in America, and since man is so sensual and is so given to his lust and his base appetite, they know that mankind is not going to practice chastity or purity, that girls are no longer going to maintain their virginity, nor men the same. They are now, they, they are now promoting openly on the airwaves, on the television programs, in newspapers, full paid ads in things like the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or USA Today telling people how they can enjoy their sex and still have it safe. This girl is saying, I enjoy sex, but I'm not ready to die for it. And the thrust of that advertisement is how you can enjoy sex and not have to die. Friends, what I'm simply trying to tell you tonight is that carnal pleasure does not equal contentment. Only godliness with contentment is great gain. Matter of fact, I had a college professor come to me some time back and he said, You'll never believe this preacher. But he said, one of the boys here in this, in this Bible college asked me, a premarital sex, well, what's really wrong with premarital sex? Friends, this is indeed a sorry day when young people coming out of our, not our schools, but out of our homes, out of our Christian homes, you can't expect the Bible school to straighten out the moral perversions and twists that you fail to confront and address, address in your own fireside. You don't need to expect these dear men and women at this facility or any other across the country to really address those problems and do anything about them when you didn't have the intelligent intelligence or the integrity to start teaching the, the fundamentals and the facts of life to those little boys and girls. You don't understand your responsibility. You are derelict in that respect and you don't need to blame the school for their lack of understanding. We need to blame the pastors and the churches and the parents back home before we start laying a finger on anyone else. But I'm not here to cover that, uh, that area there. But friends, I'm simply here to say that we are living in a time when we're making the same mistake that this prodigal made. And that is that carnal pleasure, pleasure in sensuality and sexuality is the supreme delight and the supreme satisfaction. And that if I could have all the sex I want and have all the so-called romance I want, if I was free to do with my mind and free to do with my body and the free to do with myself as I please, then I would be a abundantly happy. Well, how about having a conversation with Rock Hudson tonight? If we call Rock Hudson the, the movie idol, the, the darling of so many of this contemporary age, if we could call a personality like that tonight to testify to us concerning his last days, Rock, how did you spend your last days? People who die from AIDS die the most horrible, excruciating, painful, slow, debilitating, waste death absolutely imaginable. Supposing tonight we could ask Liberace, the great uh, uh, piano virtuoso who made multiplied millions and millions across the country, who owned some 24 dogs, delighted in his little puppies until he would call them on the telephone long distance and they'd bark to hear his voice. Everyone had their own bowl. Everyone had their own little special little ribbons. This dear, these dear men lived in the far country. They lived for this kind of carnal pleasure. They lived, they lived, they lived, they lived without God. Sad to say they died without God. But my friend, there are young men and women here tonight that are making the same kind of mistake. They've got to go to Miami. They've got to go not to New York. New York. They have to go to L.A. or somewhere else. If I could get to the big town, if I could get to London, I went through a section of London a number of months ago, I never saw such moral putrefaction 
and degradation and, and debauchery in all of my life as we saw moving slowly on a Sunday afternoon on our way to Wesley Chapel to, as I saw in those faces and in the lifestyle and the hairstyle and the dress style of those sad, poor, deluded men and women, boys and girls. Friends, my heart aches tonight. I have a broken heart. Some of our precious young people are making a tragic mistake. They're going the wrong way. They're doing the wrong thing. Don't gamble with your body, young man. Don't gamble with your body, young lady. For Jesus' sake, wake up, wake up. Don't squander your body or your mind or your soul or your spirit. Don't do it. Even if you get saved six months from now or six years from now, you may well have the sad and sorry experience of a dear friend of mine, wonderfully saved, brought out of the drug culture, delivered from it body, soul, and spirit. Does a beautiful job of preaching the gospel today. But that dear boy who married a very fine girl, when they started ha raising their children shortly, just shortly after he had been converted and taken off from the drug scene, probably about two years or maybe three years, the first child that was born was a, indeed a sad and sorry mess of humanity. When my phone and I agreed to assist in the funeral of a little child that up to that moment I did not know had been born. And I rode in the hearse with uh, the undertaker ahead of the, of the pre little preacher and his wife and my wife on the way to the grave. The undertaker said, oh, Reverend, it's so good. This little, this little character died. He said, if you could have seen the sad and sorry sight that I beheld and what I've had to lay away, he said, you can thank God that this child is gone. Well, you see, friends, that child, that child was bearing the scars of those sins. That child was bearing the scars. There are children born into the world today that bear the deep scars of iniquity and sin revel in by their daddy or by their mother. Sometimes their mother or daddy is truly married and they have a mom and a daddy, but so many times there are scores and scores of little ones that are not aborted, that are brought into the world out of, out of the, the relationships, illicit relationships between fellas and gals that are on dope and drugs that they don't care only about their own satisfaction, their own momentary pleasure, unthinking of the great holocaust that they can well Oh, my dear friend tonight, could I, could I appeal to you for Jesus' sake, young man, young woman, wake up tonight. Don't make the same horrible and hideous mistake that others have made. Don't do it for Jesus' sake. Real contentment is not in carnal pleasure. Real satisfaction is not in the far country. Real joy and contentment isn't in the wads you make. And I'd like to say a word right here. You're in Florida. And many of you fine young people have good jobs and you can make big money, but big money can carry you down. Big money can take you in the wrong direction. For Jesus' sake, hold the things of this world light. Don't make the mistake of getting carried away with making a hundred dollars a day or two hundred dollars a day or fifty dollars an hour. There's something far more important than that. For Jesus' sake, ministerial students and missionary candidates, take Take a look at yourself from time to time. Check the, the drift of your soul. Check the activity of your life. Take a look at where your money's going and how deeply you're finding yourself in debt. For Jesus' sake, slow down. Slow down. Keep things in perspective, I pray. Well, things really got bad. He'd wasted his money in riotous living. He was down and out and now he was broke. You know, when you and I have money, we have a lot of friends. When money flows like wine, when money rolls out on the gambling tables or it rolls in the roll of the dice or the shuffle of the cards, or when it buys a woman's body or it buys a man's body or it buys what 
whatever you wish to eat or whatever you wish to drink. Sooner or later when it's all gone, you'll find the scavengers. You'll find, you'll find the craven souls will fly away and look for another carcass to pick and you'll be left barren and stripped and alone even as this day, boy did. But he said, if I can just get a job, if I can get a job, I believe I can work my way out of this mess. And so he hired himself out to a citizen of that country. And the job, the job to which he was employed was feeding swine, which of course was entirely contrary to the lifestyle that he had learned. But he went out and he began to feed the swine. He thought surely he could work his way out, but he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that went to the swine and in the pig trough. And he thought, well, I can work my way out. I can work my way out. Let me tell you something, friends. You can't work your way out. There's no way under the sun you'll ever work your way out. You'll never get it done by working with your hands and you'll never get it done by just merely saying prayers or joining a church or becoming a part of an organization. No, you're going to have to do more. The longer you put off getting saved, the more you'll have to repent of. And the longer you put it off, the deeper in the devil will take you. And he worked, and he worked, and he worked feeding the hogs. He listened to their grunts, and he listened to their snorts, and he listened to their, uh, to their, uh, their hungry devouring of those things that were in the trough. He listened to it all, but it wasn't music to his ears. He was far from the lights. He was far from the joys. He was far from the delights that he thought would surely be in this country. And he worked night and day trying to find his way out. But let me tell you, friends, uh, Satan has a way of getting us in deeper and deeper and deeper. I tell you, sir, there's no way out. You'll wax not only deeper in debt, but sensuality. And uh, we'll also get deeper in your life. And you'll get more and more involved. If you're a girl, you could well have a child out of wedlock. If you're a boy, you could be, uh, you'd be responsible perhaps for bringing a child into the world and then running off and leaving the girl. You may run up a lot of debts. You may steal and turn to thievery. You may get messed up in a hundred and one things, whether it's dope or main line or whether it's, uh, or whether it's drinking or whatever it may be. And it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. There's no way out. You've got to come to yourself if you'll ever get out. You've got to wake up somewhere to realize you can't do it on your own. You'll never be smart enough. You'll never be wise enough. You'll never be strong enough. You'll never have time enough. You'll never, 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 never get it done. You'll never get it done. This was his sad and sorry mistake. Well, surely I can find a good job somewhere. Surely I can find a better job. But whatever he found, the fun and the frolic in the far country, it took more than a full-time job to do it. And so instead of having fun, instead of frolicking about, instead of enjoying all the things he dreamed of enjoying, they were all slipped by. And he was busy scurrying for husks, scurrying for feed for the trough, scurrying to feed these miserable, grunting, noisy creatures day in and day out. And he would fain have filled his own belly with the husks that he fed to the swine. His mind had been depleted and his spirit depleted and his body depleted. It's amazing how ravished people can become. It's amazing how our bodies can seem to yield to all the evils of our, of our disposition and the evils of our society. And he took on the culture and he took on the look and he took on the smell and he took on the disposition of the lower animals. For he was an animal himself. He had been feeding an animal nature. And now, and now he come to the end what the animal nature could give. There's an end of satisfaction to your animal nature. Sooner or later, your animal nature will have no more to give. You'll be burned out. You'll be burned up. You'll be a hawk like some of these sad men that I mentioned tonight. I, I tell you, friend, I don't have anything in my heart that exults in the horrible death of these men whose names I have mentioned and others. If AIDS continues, and I wouldn't doubt it's a judgment from God for our lustfulness and our licentiousness and our sensuality, this terrible scourge, this terrible 
own judgment from God upon our own sons and our own daughters is something that boggles my mind. I don't want to think about it, and yet I know, brethren, unless some of our young people turn, unless they turn, their animal nature will devour their creativity, their animal nature will devour their energies and their resources, their animal nature will, will until at the end, they'll be a lean, lying, pallid, a hulk, breathing, fighting for their last, last breath, slipping out into eternity, slipping out into eternity. If you take time to read how men or women that have AIDS die, it's a slow and horrible death. There's no way to work yourself out of it. There's no way to get out of the mess you're in by yourself. There's only remorse and regret and emptiness, an empty belly. His next mistake was that his father would never forgive him. What a big mistake. <laughs> He'll never forgive me. That's a big mistake. No matter who you are tonight or where you're at, there's forgiveness with the Father. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That prayers is valid for you as it is for anybody. He imagined his father couldn't forgive the heinousness of his crimes. He imagined that his father couldn't go reach beyond the depths to which he had been. He felt that his father's love would never traverse the wild hills that he had traveled upon. But how wrong he was. He said, I'll go back and I'll be a servant. I know the old man would never take me back. I've wasted what he gave me. And I didn't appreciate his lifestyle and his values, but I'd rather just be one of the boys in the field back home. At least if I was a servant, I could see him once in a while as he went from the house to the barn, or maybe from the back 40 down the lane. Or maybe sometime I'd get a job assigned me where I could... Maybe I'd drive the carriage in town, or maybe I'd something I, and I could at least hear his voice. Maybe, I, maybe he'd, there'd be an occasion when I might just be able to, to be right in his presence again, but just as a servant. How mistaken. I wish tonight we could get the right picture of our Heavenly Father. He's not a Shylock looking for an ounce of flesh. Bob Whitaker, God is not trying to find an incriminating clue to keep us out. He's hung his son on a rugged cross in, in crimson red to tell the whole world that there's forgiveness with God. He's here to forgive. I hope this simple little message will reach to the corner. Oh, it's going to the corner, but I hope it reaches the corner of somebody's heart. I hope it's seen, dropped in somebody's mind tonight that the Father is not trying to keep you out. He's beckoning you. He wants you to come in. He said, well, I'll be a servant. I will arise. I will go to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned and I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me a servant. <laughs> Aren't you glad the young fellow came to himself? Aren't you glad he, he woke up? You notice the father didn't send a delegation after him, Archie. He didn't send anybody out there. I'd say that'd be hard for that dad to stay away from that wayward boy. It'd be hard to know he was in a far country and doing wrong things and not being able to see him. I'm sure that father's heart reached out across the miles. But the boy came to himself. <laughs> 
He said, I'll arise. I'll go to my father. And I'll say, I've sinned. And I'll be a servant. I don't want a big place. I just want to come back home. I see things differently. And so all the way from the far country, unaccompanied by any pigs of any kind or piglets of any kind, having left it all behind, he hot puts it down the road. I see him coming. There he is. Look at him. Ragged, disheveled, scroungy, dirty, scrubby, filthy. He's done the best he can. He's tried to mat his hair in some semblance of respectability. His shabby, tattered clothes are clinging to him. He's coming. He's moving rapidly. He's coming down the road. And his father sees him all over way off. Way out there. I don't think it just happened that the old man was looking that way. I think that's the way the old man had been looking all the time, Archie. I believe the old man, from time to time, as he would walk or pace, he would look in that direction. <laughs> day after day he'd walked, and day after day he'd paced. Day after day he'd strained his eye, William Gale, but he didn't see him. But he never gave up. There's no surrender in the Father's heart. There's no surrender in the heart of our Father in heaven. He's looking your way. Somewhere in this crowd tonight is a boy or there's a girl that feel you've gone too far. You've lost a lot. Maybe you've lost your purity. Maybe you've lost your respectability. You're down. You say you're down on your luck. Things have been going from bad to worse. You got some things going wrong in your body, on the inside, somewhere here or there, that's got you to wondering, and you wonder what the problem is, and you wonder what it could be. And you speculate, and your mind is filled with fears when you lie down in the motel or in a little room somewhere, or sleep in the back end of your car, or under a bridge. You wonder. There's someone like that. Come to yourself. Wake up, young man. Wake up, young man. It's not too late. Wake up, young woman. You haven't gone too far. You may be expecting a child out of wedlock tonight. Don't take the abortion route. There are people who will help you. It may not be your parents. Some parents aren't very helpful. But there be... Come to... Some of the people like myself or Brother French or some other, we'll do all we can to help you. There's a way through. Don't make matters worse by abortion or by suicide. Don't make matters worse by piling more mistakes upon the one you've already made. The Father will forgive you. He'll plant a kiss of pardon on your brow. You can know the real contentment of sins forgiven. You can come back to the values that you have known and appreciate. And now, I just want to speak about less than five minutes on the, the mistakes of the modern prodigals. Just one. The basic mistake is this, don't worry about me. I've got plenty of time. That's a fatal mistake. I started out talking about mistakes. This is a fatal mistake. You've made a whole mess of them already. But don't make this when you don't have a lot of time. You don't have a lot of time. Time is running out. Time is running out. Time is slipping away. Yes, you have time enough for a tragedy. Time enough for a tragedy. It doesn't take long for tragedy. Some time ago, I bumped into a young preacher who wanted to tell me how he got in the ministry. He said, Brother Smule, I had a clear call to preach. But he said, I was interested in making money. He said, I, I went away to school for a while and I got along well. 
And then he said, the first child come along and I didn't see how in the world I could preach and take care of the child and how I could prepare for the ministry. So he said, I dropped out and I got a, I got into a real good job and I made big money. And he said, another child came along and the Lord kept knocking at my heart and knocking at my door. But he said, I, I was busy and I was doing well. I was getting ahead. I was in the local church. I was, I was helping. I was teaching a class. I wasn't, I wasn't called, fulfilling my call to preach, but I was, I was in there and I rather salving my conscience over what, how I was working. And then he said, another child came. But he said, a few weeks after that child was born, my wife called me at the office and told me to come home as quickly as I could. And I came home to find our little baby, deathly ill. They rushed her to the hospital, but it was too late a few hours later. And he said, on the way to the, to the lot in the little cemetery to lay that precious little bundle away, the Lord spoke to me again. And I said, Lord, I will. I will preach. I will obey thee. But he said, after the little one was tucked away, I got busy again and I forgot. After a few weeks and months, the hurt was gone and we forgot about the little one that he had taken and then he said it happened again, a sudden accident in our yard, and the child was crushed by a truck that backed over. And he said once again, sorrow, and I followed the second little casket. And he said before it was over, Brother Smool, in four short years, I followed the fourth little, the third little casket to the cemetery. And there, standing at the grave, I said, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Forgive me, Lord. I will. And he said, from then on, he said, I started making plans. And he said, I'm in the ministry. I'm full time now. But the tragedy of a commitment not kept to God. No, you don't have time. You only have time for tragedy. You only have time to play the fool. Time to play the fool. Some time ago, I heard a song that I liked real well and I'd like to use the theme of that song to talk to you for just a minute tonight. The words of the song Come back my child The way is very steep And the things you find out there They're all so cheap The way is all so steep And the things you find out there you cannot keep. Come back, my child. Come back, my child. Come home with me. There isn't a parent here tonight that has a wayward son or daughter that doesn't sense the agony in this call. Come back, my child. And I'm looking out over a lot of sons and daughters tonight. And I know in my heart, this is not psychology. This isn't something I dreamed of. This is a burden that God has placed on my heart. I know tonight that I'm talking to some mother's son or to some father's precious darling daughter. Come back, my child. Come back. Come back. Come back. Come back, my child. But that's not only the voice of a parent, but that's the voice of God the Father. The Father in heaven say, Come back, my child. Come back, my child. Come back, my child. Come home. Come home. Come home to me. The path to the far country seems to be strewn with flowers. And in the distance you seem to think you hear birds singing. And in the distance you see lights. But the lights of that city are lights in the city of death. And the birds you hear singing are the mocking birds of despair. Mocking the sinfulness of your soul. 
And the sounds you hear that you thought was music is not but the croaking of ravens of despair and of eternal blackness. Come back, my child. Don't go down that path any farther. Those things you cannot keep. Those things are all so very cheap. Come back, my child. Come back. Come back to your calling. Come back to your commitment. I don't know. In this camp, Mother Buston and Brother Carol and myself have seemed to be burdened for people with a commitment. And I had a feeling that despite the good number that came last night, there's so many that are still mushy on commitment. Still unsettled. Come back to commitment. Come back to your calling. Come back. You've gone quite a ways. Maybe you haven't actually traveled the distance physically, but in your mind you're a long ways away. Come back, my child. Come back to the family. Come home with me. Wake up. Wake up. The biggest mistake is I have plenty of time. Plenty of time. I like the story. I think Brother Carroll told it the other day. It's so aptly teaches the point. The egg hunter. Out hunting for eggs in the cliffs of Dover. Overlooking the English Channel. Steep, precipitous cliffs. Some of us have seen those lovely and beautiful white cliffs of Dover. From the top, he discerned a bird that flew out from a ledge below. And looking for rare and unique eggs. He fastened his rope on the top side and let himself down over the edge of the cliff. In so doing, the rope would swing. He had to swing back and forth on the rope and he had to land on a ledge. Having now landed on the ledge, he had easy access to the nest for the bird was gone and here were the eggs right before him. But as he turned to survey the circumstances, it suddenly dawned upon him that the rope that had brought him here was swinging away. It took him a moment or so to realize it swung away, and then it came back. He looked at the eggs, and he looked at the rope, and it was swinging out. He realized that if he would ever get off from that ledge, he'd have to act and act immediately. For each time the rope would swing, it would be a little less near to him and a little farther away, a little nearer to a place of total motionlessness. And when it came back the next time, he realized that he'd have to leap as hard as he could and make his grip sure, or all would be lost. And in that moment, when it swung up near to him, not near as close as it had been before, he made a valiant leap and grasped the rope with fearful hands and trembling heart. Another time, he would have never made it. One more swing, and it would have been gone. You don't have a lot of time. You have now. Come back, my child. Come home. Come home with me, are the words of the Father. While the Edwards are coming and we're getting ready to sing, I just like to say, young man, come to yourself. Now, I'm going to say this and I don't want any music yet. Come to yourself. Wake up, young man. You can get saved cold turkey. The other night when I preached on repentance, a white-haired fellow sat over here. His name is Joan, somewhat of a theologian and teacher and preacher, quite a strong character. He came up to me and said, you know, preacher... Not many people ever thought I really got saved. So the night I gave my heart to God, he said, I just walked down and I knelt. They prayed around me and I stood up and I said, I'm saved. And he said, I don't think anybody believed it. But he said, that's been, and he told me how many years ago. I like to see people bawl and weep. But friend, the first thing is to come to yourself. Nobody ever gets saved. Till they come to themselves, till they wake up, till they act on what they know. Act on what you know tonight. There's two things you, you know. I know the Father's calling. 
He's saying, come home, my child. Come back, my child. And I know he'll forgive you. While the Edwards sing, I want all of us to stand prayerfully, carefully together. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.